Anyway, welcome, welcome. Happy fall, everybody. It is good to have you with us tonight, and we are going to go to Ephesians 4. Uh, let me just mention a few things that came out in Hope Notes today so that you know it and you guys know it out there in uh, social media land as well. We are trying to assess if we can do trunk or treat this year because it's an outdoor activity and because everybody is sick of not being normal, so we would like to be normal if we can. Um, we are planning for Sunday the 25th of October, which is the Sunday before, East, uh, before Halloween, and rain date is November 1st, the day after it. And basically what we do is we just have cars out here and kids come through and get candy. So we're all outside, most of us have masks on. Um, we're gonna try to figure out the line so it doesn't feel packed. But we've had thousands of people come through that line before. So we wanna take advantage of the relative safety of outside as well as the uh, appetite for something normal and give, it, give ourselves a chance to serve our community as well as to share Jesus. So if you are interested or you hear of someone interested, we have to, in the next few weeks, make a decision of do we have enough people to participate in that? Because if we had two cars, you know, <laughs> there's not really much point to that. So I think our minimum is 20, something like that. So we were looking for people to uh, sign up and uh, that came out in Hope Notes today, and we're excited about the possibility of doing that, but we'll see how many people are going to be a part of that. Uh, I want to remind you about the small groups brochure and about us being super cool with the little QR code down here. Yeah, I know. I'm very impressed with us. I didn't do this, but it is awesome, right? QR code. Uh, so that's that, and uh, if you have not signed up for a small group or not part of it, Dave and the small group team are all over it, so I'd love for you to get, get involved in that. And then the marriage course, this is something that Dana and I are um, just really excited about for seven weeks, really good information, and especially for younger couples that are just starting out and figuring it out, or couples who've never dug into, what does the Bible teach about this, and what is some basic advice uh, on marriage. It is well-produced. It is easy to follow. It's, um, it, it is not hard to listen to. It's not boring or, or long. Uh, there's about, in, in the hour and 45 minutes, there's about 50 minutes of watching videos and other couples and things like that. And then there's about 50 minutes of you having a conversation with your spouse about the things you, you heard. So I'm saying this to all of you here as well as to all of you out there because I would highly recommend if you know somebody who could use some some building and some focus on their marriage, uh, we want to do that. Now, for anyone who, who is not going to be a part of that, we would love to get a little bit of help. We're, we are producing dinner every, all seven of those uh, nights, as well as set up and tear down. So uh, you can let us know if that's something you can do one night or any night. We're, we're Friday nights from October 9th to November 20th, I believe. Uh, so all those Friday nights, all seven of those, we could use a hand before and after, before to help set things up and help get the food to wherever it needs to be, and afterwards to clean up and reset for Sunday morning. So if that's you, uh, let us know. We'd love to have your help. Then the last thing I want to say before we get to Ephesians 4 is two weeks from tonight is October the 7th. On October the 7th, we are not going to have Bible study. We're going to go in the auditorium and the elders are going to give um, the meeting that we were trying to have back on April the 1st <laughs> with where we are with projects as a church and what we've gotten done, just because I feel like money can get to be a, a funky thing, 
and we want to have a wide open discussion about the, the $65,000 that we raised and what have we done with it. We've done projects we didn't plan to do that became part of it and whatever. And then we have more projects that are getting done that we have the money for and then some money we're figuring out. So it's kind of all involved, but I feel like every person in our church that wants to know about it, uh, we want to have a, a open meeting where questions can be asked, information can be given uh, so that we all know what's going on, especially if we wind up saying, hey, we're going into phase two and we need to raise some sum. Um, we want you to know why and how and where and all that kind of stuff. So that is October the 7th, two weeks from tonight. All right, I think that's all my announcement stuff, which I shouldn't have even done because of all of our funky uh, computer technology stuff. But let's go to Ephesians chapter four. And we have been walking through this chapter and really pulling apart what Paul has done to transition from the, the, the foundational teaching and the, the impact teaching he does in chapters 1, 2, and 3. You've been forgiven. You've been sealed. Oh, I wish that you would know him more. You were dead in your trespasses and sin, and you've been made alive. It is the work of God through grace. And he just goes through this whole thing, and he ends in, in chapter 3 with, to him who's able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. And we spent months going through those first three chapters to get us to chapter 4, where Paul then says, now I urge you, live a life worthy. And we kind of took a moment and said, what does that mean? If, if you hear Christians saying, are you living a worthy life, there are ideas that pop into your head. But Paul's idea is probably not the one that we gravitate towards because we kind of stink at it. <laughs> I guess that's why. It's kind of, you know, the Pharisees were very good at keeping rules, so keeping rules became what being a spiritual person was. You know what I mean? So what you're really good at tends to become what being a spiritual person is. So Paul says, here's what worthy is. Verse 2, be completely humble and gentle. Ouch. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. That is Paul's idea. That is his summary of what it means to live worthy. And he, he had come out of chapter 2 and even into chapter 3 talking about how Gentiles and Jews had become one, this unbelievable thing, this across racial and, and spiritual and background divisions, cultural divisions, this idea of, of the Gentiles thinking the Jews were crazy for just worshiping one God. That's so risky. If you're wrong about who the God is, why not just worship a bunch of gods? And the Jews thought the Gentiles were just pagans and far from God. Why would you worship all these gods? There's one true and living God, and you're going to get him really mad at you. And he's going to... So they looked at each other really weird, and Jesus, according to Paul in, in Ephesians 2 and 3, brought these widely, widely different people together. It's the miracle, the unity. So now he says, live a life worthy of that. The work that Jesus did to bring us together, live worthy of that. Now I know being unified today in our culture has a, has a very impactful meaning. We talk about racial division, we talk about police brutality and things like that, and, and different cultures and different ideas. And so I understand that's a, that's a kind of a forefront discussion right now, but that's not the discussion Paul's having here. I mean, it's an application of that discussion, but the discussion he's having here is the church of Jesus Christ should be uniquely unified. There should be no division in the body of Christ. And so he goes into why, make every effort, he goes into why. We have one, we have one Lord, one faith, one hope, one baptism, one God. So we have all these ones, and, and he, he left and sent his spirit to us 
He came down to earth as a, as a human being and gave his life and then left so that the church would be his body, his representation. That's where we got to last week. That God, he gave gifts so that the body could be built up so that we could all reach unity, verse 13, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God becoming mature. And that's where we ended last time, maturity. Paul is equating unity with maturity. Not knowledge, not the right answers, not the right behavior, unity, which flows out of love. That I actually care about you. When you're hurting, I hurt. When you're happy, I rejoice. We're together in this thing, that we see this cause of the body of Christ serving the people of, uh, of this world, just like the Son of God came to serve this world. And so maturity is unity. Maturity in faith and maturity in knowing brings unity. I think that, we're going to talk Sunday about a better truth. I think that knowing thing is something that trips up believers because there was a liberal movement 100 years ago that tried to wash away truth as any kind of knowable thing. So we all got very defensive and we're like, the truth matters, the truth matters. And somehow we let the truth become devoid of the earmark of Christianity, which is love. And we're going to get to that tonight. And so we all started battling each other and we're like, well, you're a Methodist, well, you're a Presbyterian, well, you're a Lutheran, well, you're... And we put labels on everybody so we knew where we disagreed and why we disagreed and who was right and who was wrong. And the church became more and more divided instead of unified because truth and knowledge was not mature. That's where we ended until we all reach unity and faith in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. You, maturity in faith brings unity. Maturity in knowledge brings unity. And that fin finishes us at attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. The outcome of maturity through ministry is to be the embodiment of Christ. We are to be fully Christ-like. And Paul says that comes out of representing and reflecting his servant-heartedness, his love, his gathering, not his chopping people off and holding grudges and making sure people are put in their place, you know, online or in person, or giving people the cold treatment. This is not Jesus. And as his body, we are supposed to reflect him. And since we're supposed to reflect him, we're supposed to reflect him in a way that actually is him. The earmark of Christ's life, the, the high point, the apex, the story all culminates in what? His death, sacrificially for us, his resurrection. Oh, the love and the patience. Paul talks about it in Romans, marvel at the love of Christ. Oh, the depth and the... And here in Ephesians 3, I would that you would know how deep and how wide and how long is the love of Christ. That's what I want you to know. Why? Because that brings us maturity and that brings us to unity, reflecting Christ. We are the body of Christ. Now, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read 14 to 16. And I'm going to just kind of like, we talked a lot about unity and, and even in just reviewing here, I'm talking a lot about unity. So I'm just going to let you guys tell me what, what you see in these verses what you take from it, what, what Paul is trying to get across to us, what, how we could use this in our personal life and in our church and, and in our witness um, and, and what he's the point he's trying to make, any of the points. It doesn't have to be the whole point, just any of the points he's trying to make. All right? So Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14, then we will no longer be infants 
tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So you've probably heard those verses before. These are not like new verses. These are verses we've heard here and there. So as I read them, tell me what comes to mind. What do you think, what, what would you take from that as maybe uh, a particularly applicable or, or um, poignant part of it, idea from it, that we would do well to hold on to or to learn or to take to heart. Any ideas? Anything jump out to you guys? Anchored. Okay. Yeah. That, that picture of getting blown around I feel like that's so almost poetically descriptive of what, we've, what I'm witnessing in the church and the, the pull, because I can feel it in my own soul, to get pulled around. The winds are not weak. It's not a little gentle breeze. These are strong winds. And he says, you don't want to be the vulnerable infant spiritually that gets blown around by all the winds. And so you want to find a way to be anchored. Yeah, absolutely. What else? Other ideas? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. You're a part of the body. So, and that's a, what, what a great pull in there, Jerry. The armor of God has given people the picture of being soldiers for God. And that soldier imagery, just because we're, we're human beings, has really created a lot of conflict between us and people we're supposed to love. So if love is the foundation, and when we get to chapter 6, who we're fighting, Paul says we're not fighting people, right? But we often are fighting people, right? Even right now, the, the political discussion is about who's on the other side, people on the other side, and, and that person's a, a horrible person. I can't believe that person's that. So we're, we're about people, and we're like fighting people. And we say we're fighting ideologies, but it feels like it's pretty personal for ideologies, Right? So yeah, we, we are getting to the place where he's setting it up towards this battle that we're enjoying, but this battle we fight is not fought with witty repartee or physical force or even power. It's fought with love and, and serving. That, that's a different battle. And why do I say that? Last week we talked about this. How did Jesus fight the battle? He, he could have come and just with a word, poof, all those who are against him are gone, right? He could have ultimate powered it 
if power were the answer. I don't know why we are so susceptible to power as an answer to the hardships of our life, maybe it's just being a human being, but when we look at Jesus, Jesus laid power aside and fought the battle in love and won, won eternally. So there's something to that that I think is, that's where, we're, that's where Paul's driving here in Ephesians. Good, good stuff. What else, guys? Anything else with you? I mean, it starts off by talking about infants. And Paul says, you don't want to be any infants any longer. Why don't we want to be infants? Yes, yeah. He's like, you, you, there's something unhealthy about remaining an infant. If you are growing, maturing spiritually, you should be able to have heartier meals. You, you, it, your ability to take something in. And that, that's a great connection for infants and teaching. Because an infant, spiritually, is somebody here who's tossed around by anything they hear. So that's why milk, you know, just like the easy digestible, that's what you give to a new believer. You're not trying to like throw them. But as we get mature, we shouldn't be, oh, what? Oh, okay. We should be a little more focused, a little harder to, to trick, a little harder to get us twisted up, bitter, right? Doubt, filled, filled with doubt, um, lost, it, as we mature. And when you're first saved, you, you don't have all that understanding, right? Yeah. Yeah. The one of the horrible outflows of the shutdown, the lockdown, and and people not coming to church regularly is that spiritually it makes us so vulnerable. It takes us backwards because unity is our balance and strength but when i've like even in a marriage for dana and i if i'm like her ideas are dumb and she's like his ideas are dumb what god has designed for us as husband and wife we don't accomplish because and i say this all the time as i'm doing pre-marriage counseling with people god has given some parts of what you need for your home to your spouse and some parts to you you have to have enough humility to know which parts you need to hear and, and receive instead of just my way, my way, my way. People have told me before marriage is all about compromise, and I, and I understand why they say that, but marriage is about partnership. It's not you take a turn, I take a turn. It's that's my way, that's your way, but God put us together for an our way. What's, what's our way? Not my way or your way. And in the church, it's very much the same. It's not as close and it's not as like rubber meets the road. But in the church, it, what, we, what we wind up doing, because it's 
doctrinal things and because we're sure we're right, and because I, I feel comfortable keeping you at an arm's length, is we wind up acting like unity isn't the strength of us. I'm going to correct you. I'm, I'm in a position of authority, or I have studied more, or I've been here longer than you have, and so I'm going to make, we, we close off listening and we start to kind of like take James' advice of be quick to listen and slow to speak, and we just throw that away, and we, we're quick to speak and hard to listen and try to make sure that you listen. I want you to understand what I have to say. The entire opposite of the pathway to the strength that grows us out of infants. So some of what you need, like that's what I'm saying about this, the shutdown, as, as we didn't interact, we processed, and there was a ton of information to process through the shutdown. Every day, news conferences and, you know, what's going on here and what's going on, you're processing all this stuff, and then a lot of racial unrest shows up, and we're processing all of that, but we're processing it in little silos instead of together. And it becomes easy to assume, if I love you, you agree with me, except that's never been the case. That we, we always work it out by having conversations and, and minding the fact that I'm reading what's happening on the other end of this conversation as I'm talking to you. And I'm careful not to just barge in and like brush away, especially if you're going to say, I don't think that at all. And well, tell me what you think. So there's, there's a growth, there's a unity, and that is more important than what you think, getting your point across. Unity is more important than getting your point across, but we kind of forget that when I'm just talking to myself all the time. So unity comes as the body pulls together. Instead of us, we think when we know what we think, then we're, we're saddled, we know ourselves. Except that is the picture here that's given of being tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching. So talk to me about what are some winds of teaching that have come through the church lately? Like in the last hundred years. So Paul talks about winds of teaching Blowing people around, sending them off in this direction or that direction. Yeah, he's not talking about good teaching, which would tend to be love-centered, unifying, strengthening, and building the body. He's talking about teaching that would blow us off from that foundation. Um, in, and it's not even that it's wrong teaching or false teaching, but it's a wind of teaching that takes us away, distracts us from unity, love, serving, growing, building. Yes. Yes. Yeah, so the worship wars, there was legitimacy to the discussion, but what it turned into was, this is the right side, that's the right side. And, and where it kind of wound up towards the end of that was, well, in order to be right, you have to have old school and new school. Kind of like, there, 
I mean, there's some people that were all new school, and there's some people that were like old school is all there is, but a lot of people just kind of try to navigate the middle, thinking that the answer was what's the right balance. The problem is that we started to think and assume that everybody was called to do the exact same thing that I'm called to do. And I need to convince you that I'm right, or you need to convince me that you're right, so we all wind up on the same side so we can be unified. Instead of saying, God can work through whatever music he wants to in your church and whatever music he wants to in your like, between you and God, I love you. How can we do to serve you? I think a lot of it wound up in the, in the congregation and in the, um, the places of authority and, and leadership where it was this tug of war and we're going to force this, we're going to push this this way or that way. And we all became very self-focused about my style of music. Instead of seeking the Lord, I don't, it sounds like uber spiritual, but just, God, what do you want us to do? And in, when we were talking about that stuff 20, 25 years ago, there was not a lot of, Lord, what do you want us to do? It was a lot of, well, the hymns have doctrine. Well, nobody listens to the hymns. The young people all want these. So, okay. It was like, my point, my point, my point. But there wasn't any real overriding love for one another and unity towards one another that said, we can be diverse and be one. I mean, even, like I said before about the picture of marriage, there is not a lot of similarity in most marriages between husband and wife. They're very, very different people. But the goal is that the Spirit of God would make it one through, through two very... And that's just a small picture of the church. That we are many, many different people, but we are stronger when we have all our different ideas and philosophies and thoughts and whatever, and we use them all in coordination for the cause of Christ. And I have respect for you. You have respect for me. I don't try to tear you down. I don't look over there. When someone else gets a little bit more publicity or a little bit higher, you know, more success, I'm not like, what's wrong with them? Let me tell you about their background. We're like, Jesus gets the glory. Jesus gets the glory because he's the one that's us all about. Except when we're infants, that's not what it's all about. When we're infants, we're like, it's all about me, me, me. Right? We talked last week, what's an infant? I am very, very aware of my needs. I don't care, like, our granddaughter does not care if anyone needs sleep <laughs> or quiet or, you know what I mean? She doesn't care because it's all about her. And it has to be right now. She's an infant. But as she grows, it's got to come a point in time where she understands, well, guess what? You have to think about other people. You can't just do everything about you all the time. That's part of the growing process, physically, but also socially, emotionally, relationally. She's got to grow through those things spiritually we are supposed to do that too we're supposed to move from early on this you know we came with into this with our flesh that says this is all about me love says this is all about you not in a not in a um you know abusive or a uh kind of just co codependent way or anything like that but in a choosing because I've been forgiven, because I've been loved, because Christ has served me, to look for opportunities to graciously serve other people, not for anything in return, but just because I want to share the love of God, because I love them like Jesus loved them. That's what growing up is. So one of the winds of doctrine have, you know, worship wars. Any, any other teaching winds that have come through the church the last hundred years that you can think of?
Yeah. 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 That's a great one. Yeah. 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 Yep. Yep. Right. 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 Yep. Yep. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Yeah. I think this is the context that challenges us to be better at that stuff because am I loving well yeah. instead of am I arguing well? Like those are different things. And I'm not saying there's not a place for argument, but, it, but my priority is love. So have I loved well enough that I have a standing to have a conversation? I think what you said about prosperity gospel, that's one of the wins that have really blown through the church. And that's how, many, how much money, how much TV time, how many people in, in a bad situation will grab on to some of that, like, I can just tell God what to do, and he's got to do it, because, you know, he's going to do everything. I, like, this is, these are winds that blow people. And we should be, in unity, strong enough to recognize that doesn't make any sense. Jesus is there saying, take up your cross and follow me, deny yourself, and we're teaching people that he's going to fix your life, and you're going to be wealthy, and you're going to have all health. You should never have a disease, and everything should go perfectly in your life. Well, the disciples missed it then because they got thrown, like James was killed like before Acts even got really going, you know? So this is one of Jesus' inner circles. If, that, if prosperity gospel is the truth, then the disciples really blew it, except they really got it, and that's why the church exploded because it was lay down your life, not hold on to your life, not expect God to make your life easy and physically prosperous. So prosperity gospel is one of those wins. Paul says we as believers, when we're functioning well, we shouldn't be infants blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by cunning craftiness, people under deceitful schemings. Um, ha that shows up in the church too. I wonder why believers, why do you think believers are so prone to be blown around by teaching of doctrine or to be taken in by cunning and craftiness of deceit? We, we know Jesus. He, spirit's in our heart. We have the word of God. So we should be ready, right? We should be like, that's not right. And yet we get taken in. I think it, when I think of cunning craftiness, I think about the way that the church has gotten entangled in taking political sides and trying to like, take a political position or a, a political um, like campaign paper or whatever and then take the Bible and try to make that paper right you know that's cra that's cunning but it's wrong <laughs> like we shouldn't be trying to rationalize or justify some human idea we should just be going to the word of god and saying what to say to do let's do that 
And I know political parties have to operate how they operate, but when you try to mix the two together for the cause of righteousness, has it turned out really well? Like, in other words, does the church look good because of its involvement in politics right now? Why not? Because it's not very loving. And when you get involved in politics, there's a lot of shouting at other people how they're wrong, and we're going to overcome you, and we're going to go grab power, and we're going to make sure the laws reflect what we believe and not what you believe. Is that what Jesus did? Is that how he interacted in this world? See, that's where we lost it. It was cunning, it was crafty, but we lost it. So I wonder why we're so susceptible to that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you have to recognize all of us that our propensity is to see what we see physically, to understand what makes sense humanly to our minds. That is a pull on us. When you get saved, you don't lose your flesh. Your humanity is still your humanity, and you're used to listening to that voice. So it's still there. It's still talking the way it talked and all that. Now you have a new man in Christ Jesus that, that is your soul, that is your spirit, that lives forever, but your flesh is still there, vying for control. In that chapter 4, we're going to get to put off the old man and put on the new, because your old man is asking you to do some stuff that has no place as a believer. So you need to put that off and put on the new man. So there's this choice we make. But that flesh is still there, and it's sneaky, and it's persistent, and it's always, when you see something, and you're frustrated about something, or something didn't go the way you thought it should go, or you prayed and nothing happened, your eyes and your understanding jump to the front and say, this is what that means. A little bit of truth. So that those who are cunning and crafty and those winds of doctrines, that's the part, they, the part of us that they play on to pull us away. Which is why the church has, in general, and our church very intentionally, said, let's get together on the reg. <laughs> because we need one another to get back to truth, spirit, mindset. Let the world, let's close the doors and the world's out there and, and we'll put our phones away. And we're just kind of like, we're here, worship, we're here in the word, we're here with one another. Let's get back to what it means to be a believer, thinking the right way, so that because I know I got I got winds that are going to blow at me tomorrow. I know I've got people who are trying to suck me in because they think my reputation is a good reputation. They want to use it for their cause. It happens all the time at work, at school, and family. You know, I, there's times where I get like a text or a call, and like Mark, take a side on this. And what what are they doing? They they you know you can be flattered about it humanly. Oh, look at me. They they want my opinion. No, what they're trying to do is say. People respect you. Take a side so my side wins if you're on my side. They're trying to pull you. You know what I mean? So there's all of this pull at us all the time. 
And it takes intentionality to come back to the Word of God, what it means to be the body of Christ, the fullness of the body of Christ. So Paul describes this type of vulnerability making us infants, helpless, unable to protect ourselves, unable to process and digest some of this complexity. And if the symptoms are that we're blown around and we're sucked into what is deceitful, there's something that Paul is trying to get at that we need. If, in, if being an infant is what exposes us to that, what is he trying to say? So here's what I would tell you you need to do. Any ideas? Okay, so growing. Let me ask you rhetorically, and you can just think about this and you can say, hmm, or whatever, to make it sound like you really thought deeply about it, but let me just ask you to think about this. How grown are you spiritually? And when was the last time you took an assessment of that in your soul to say, where am I in my spiritual growth? We know how we are physically. We'll go to the doctor. We, we get up every morning and, oh, there's a, that hurts. Oh, what did I do? I guess I bumped into something. We're very aware physically. Oh, I'm hungry. Oh, I'm tired. Oh, you know what I mean? Like we're, we're tuned in physically. How about spiritually? Are we grown? How would we know if we're grown? Paul's saying how I love, how I serve. That's what, that's what shows me if I'm grown. Okay, so where am I in my spiritual growth? Yeah. If you're watching your spiritual well-being, you notice very quickly that where my focus is is where my direction is. So if I am focused on loss or hurt, what am, what am I experiencing in life? That's my focus. If I can't get my loss or my hurt out of my head, what, what's my experience? Uh, yeah, I'm... I'm Happy? Am I happy? Sad? Angry? Bitter? Filled with doubt? Like, I fo- what I focus on is where I'm going. Right. And if I got, if I'm focused on loss and hurt, I'm, hey, good luck with your stuff because I got my own. Pain makes you self-focused. It focuses you on me, right? That Always. When, um, we're putting in some flooring in the, ha- in, in the house, and yesterday I took a rubber mallet and smashed my finger here. Yeah, I know. I'm super coordinated. I'm super awesome. And I got, a, I got like the blood blister here to, to show it. But when I do that, I'm not focused on anything else of my body except that spot, right? All pain draws your attention. So when I hurt, my attention is drawn to me instead of others. And so if I focus on that, if I feed on that, here comes my experience behind it. That's a really important, for me to assess where am I spiritually, it's a really important thing to understand. What's occupying my mind? What do I enjoy thinking about? What am I hoping to bring me life and a better tomorrow than today and a better next year than this year? Where what am I experiencing minute by minute, moment by moment? For me, one of the things that I noticed, 
probably 10, 15 years ago, was when I am uh, presumptively not like being careful with my own responsibility for me, and I let myself get worn out, burn out, whatever, I don't like people very much, like at all. I don't care what happens to them. I'm just like, I, because I'm toast. And the, the indicator is not self-pity. Like I, what I shouldn't be doing is going, oh, woe is me. Yes, life is hard. Look at me, look at me, look at me. That's not the pathway. Because all that does is make me tune out and numb to the, to the needs of people. When I'm healthy, then I'm like, what's going on in your life? What's happening with you? Oh, Lord, please be with them. Help them. That's a hard, that's a, there's people that right now that are really struggling, that have really heavy things happening in their life, and it come, just comes to mind, and I'm like, Lord, just, you gotta be very present with them. You gotta show them your goodness and your mercy, because when you're healthy, you can tune in. So that was an indicator to me that I'm unhealthy, because suddenly I don't care about anybody. Something's wrong. See, that's what we have to get in our, in our souls is that we recognize when we're off track by simple things like that, that I just don't like people. <laughs> okay, well, that's, yeah. Christ-like? No, that's not Christ-like. That's something else. It's not Christ-like. Oh, okay. Then something's wrong. What do I got to do? Where, where's the source of that? Where's that coming from? I got to dig in and dive into that. The next verse is instead of being blown around and, and sucked into this cunning craftiness. It's this famous verse, speaking the truth in love. You've probably heard that a lot of times. Maturity is not getting blown around. Maturity is not being vulnerable to, to being sucked into these uh, deceits. Maturity is truth spoken in love. The greatest power of deceit is to find a way to feel and look like the truth. The hardest things to see through are things that are almost true or are true in a sense that I can prove one point of it. There's a lot of philosophy in the world that is true like that. There's a, there's a point of truth in it. And then, then, well, everything must be true. That's how teenagers a lot of times buy into worldly philosophies is there's a thing of truth in it and they're like, aha, there it is. And then they just buy the whole rest of it. They don't prove the whole rest of it. They just buy the whole rest of it. But I think there's a lot of adults who buy that stuff too. One point of truth, but we don't evaluate it beyond that. The truth is easy to be counterfeited if we are not mature, if we don't understand, if we're not grown. So that power of deceit, when it finds a way to look and feel like the truth, that's what sucks us in. The best way to undermine that potential is to have a steady diet of actual truth. And I'm not talking about conspiracy theory truth like looking behind shadows and bushes. We're going to talk about this on Sunday. Like some people think that they are passionate about the truth because they're always looking in the dark places and the unseen world. That makes you a truth pursuer? I think that makes you a sucker. <laughs> you want to say something? Oh, okay. I mean, that, the reality is, yeah, there probably are a lot of things we don't know about. You think you're going to find out about them by your internet sleuthing? or by a Facebook post? Like, really? The reality is we have to start with accepting the fact that there's a lot of things we don't know about. Okay. But who does know? Oh, that's right, the one who's in charge of my life. 
the one who said he would lead me and guide me. You are much better off setting aside all of your you know, detective work online and getting into the Word of God and letting the Spirit of God lead you. Because he already knows all of that. He knows it perfectly. And even if you knew all the information perfectly, here's your problem. Even if you found that every bit of information that was out there that you know, in the dark recesses of whatever, you're still fallible you. So even if you got all the information perfectly, you're still not going to process it perfectly because you're a human being. So what you want is to give up on that quest, which is a tremendous scheme that the enemy has for a lot of believers today, listening to, oh, do you know what's happening? Oh, if you didn't know, people wake up. That, that whole like secret knowledge thing. I, I believe that believers wake up when they fully understand what it means for the Spirit to be in charge of their life. Because he knows everything and he thinks clearly. I don't know everything, and even if I did, I wouldn't think clearly. So he's got to be the one in charge. Speak the truth in love. Part of love is humility. We see the context of this. The connection between truth and love are vital. I cannot use truth without love. Love without truth is license. Go do whatever you want. Love, 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 love. I mean, it's not real love. It's, it's a fabrication. But it seems to people like love. Oh, we just love you, just love you. Do whatever you want. But truth without love is legalism. It's a hammer. It's, and we've all been under that too. Judgment. It's criticism. It's shame. It's regret. So truth and love, the reality is both alone are less than actual truth and actual love. Truth without love is not quite truth, and love without truth is not quite love. It's not like you can separate them for them to be fully what they are. They have to be together. So we speak the truth governed and guided by love for the one we're speaking to. When I tell you the truth, I tell you the truth with a concern for your well-being, a sensitivity to your weaknesses and vulnerabilities. You can, and all of you guys probably know this, you can say the truth in a way that nobody can say was wrong, but wasn't very helpful. Or, if you know that person, you care about that person, you love that person, you can say the truth in a way that doesn't stomp on their sore spot. You know what I mean? When we were first married, one of the things that was a sore spot for me is I do not like to feel like I'm getting manipulated, like wedged into a corner. Is this correct, Dan? Okay. I do not like to feel like someone is maneuvering me. And there's lots of reasons for that, but I do not like to feel like there is this pressure on me that I'm supposed to respond to, but the person doesn't say what they want. They just try to like, because if you say to them, what are you talking about? They're like, oh, I'm not talking about anything. You know, that kind of like pressure where you know what you're supposed to do. There's like guilt or whatever poured on it, you know, but you don't really, you can't really argue it because it's not really out in the open. It's just this behind the scenes pressure. And so early in our marriage, I would decide that that's what Dana was trying to do. And it didn't go well <laughs> because I was very, very upset because I was very, very sensitive to it. It's, it was my problem. It wasn't Dana's problem, it was my problem. She was very shocked, like, 
what happened to the, the dude that I married <laughs> that was like sane? <laughs> you know, what happened to him? Where'd he go? But what she has done over 30 years is decided, I'm going to be careful about how I say what I say to Mark because I don't want to stomp on that. I don't want to trip him up. That's what love does. It doesn't say, well, you just need to grow up, man. You be it recognizes that all of us have sore spots and sensitivities and, and weaknesses. And I'm trying to give you truth so that you can grow and be built up, but I don't want to just be reckless and careless. A lot of times for me on Sunday morning, that's some of the, the weight and the pressure that I feel. It's not coming from anyone except just me trying to be responsible and, and do a good job. But I feel this weight of, I want to say the truth in a way that's digestible. I don't want to say the truth in a way that makes it hard for people to hear it, receive it, and respond to it. I want to make it clear and not trip people up unnecessarily. So I don't want to, uh, like when my kids are at church and I tell a story about them, I never want to tell a story about my kids that makes them look bad. If somebody looks bad in my story, it's going to be me. It's not going to be them. Because they don't want to trip them up. I, that's a very vulnerable place to be. Your dad's up here, has a microphone, and he's talking to all these people, and you're sitting down in the front row, and if he made fun of, like, that would be a horrible thing. I don't want to do that to them. So even though it may illustrate the point or it might be helpful to them, I don't want to hurt my kids because I love my kids. So truth is directed by love. And love is supported and sustained by the truth. You cannot disintegrate them. They are absolutely interwoven. So we love the ones we're speaking to, and we speak the truth to them in a way that comes out of our love for them. So love that causes us to grow into Christ-like maturity through deep spiritual unity is this kind of love, which is what he gets to in verse 16. From him, so we grow, or sorry, speaking the truth in love, we will grow, verse 15, to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. That, when we talk about love, we're talking about, I'm, I'm in this for your good, your, your good, your best interest. And your best interest in this passage is you're growing spiritually. So when I speak the truth to you, on Sunday morning, I try to get up and I try to speak a truth that will help our church to grow. Whether it's a word of encouragement or a word of instruction or whatever, whatever the next part is, I want our church to grow. I want, not grow numerically, I want our church to be spiritually growing. And I ask myself, probably more often than I should, but I ask myself a lot, do I believe that I'm giving and, and, and teaching things that will help our church grow? I don't want to be just entertaining. I don't want to just be fascinating. I don't want to just give knowledge like a college professor or something. I want people to have the opportunity, a legitimate opportunity, served up kind of like right there in front of you. The, the choice is yours. You can say yes or no, but the choice is yours. Here it is, very clear. Grow. Grow. That's what the truth in love should do. The truth in love should never serve to make you look better. Like, I just spoke the truth in love to prove my point. <laughs> this is not the truth in love. The truth in love is so you grow. So you're built up. It's for your healing. It's for your, and the same way with you with other people. That's, we get in small groups. It's an opportunity to exercise this truth in love so that people are built up. If small groups are just an exercise and everybody complaining about, oh, my life this and my life that, and everybody's like, oh, your life, wow, I can't believe that. I don't know what I would do. And then everybody just 
goes away. Oh, wow, everybody just valid. And we never grow. All we do is we just whine at each other all the time. This is not what we want small groups to do. We want small groups to turn those hardships, which you can be as open as you can be in small group, and turn it over to faith to say, God, you're the God who can do anything. You have a plan here. Help us to trust you. See us through this. Give us strength. Give us wisdom. Give us hope so that we can walk through this. And let's do that together and let's encourage each other and let's get our phones and text each other during the week about, hey, God is in this and God has got this and he's got a plan and he's going to do something and you've got to hold on and we're with you and what can we do to help? And So that we're building each other up, not just wading in the, the pool of self-pity together. So as we function as a church, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to see that speaking the truth in love, we grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. That's what we're shooting at. Growing as a body, not infants, just tossed around every which way, but growing as a body. I feel like this year challenged us to grow as a body because these were different wins than we ever thought we would face. There were different discussions. There were different um, obstacles to it can't get together as a church in worship and um, you can't meet together in small groups the way you did and like there were a lot of obstacles to things that were very healthy and good for us and we're still not even close to back to normal as a church but I asked us is this going to blow you is this going to suck you in through through deceit and cunning and craftiness or are you going to grow so that we speak the truth in love so that we are built into the body of Christ, into the full, mature reflection of Jesus Christ. Did we grow this year, or did we digress? That, to me, that's the question all the time in a church and in the body of Christ, speaking the truth in love. All right, we will pick up there next week. Don't forget, two weeks is that church meeting uh, on the 7th of October, so We'll skip that Bible study that night and come back the following week uh, as we keep going through Ephesians. And Ephesians 4, I mean, this is, we're still kind of foundational. We're a lot more practical than we were in chapters 1 through 3 because it's a guiding principle for what he's going to talk about. He's going to talk about sexual morality. He's going to talk about stealing. He's going to talk about anger. He's going to, I mean, just kind of the whole, what comes out of your mouth. All of this is going to reflect that foundation, speaking the truth in love being growing up, become mature in your faith. All right, so we'll pick it up there at verse 